The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. We're determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect, and they may and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, and all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over a fire, head, legs, and inner parts. And do not leave any of it until morning. If something is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And that same night I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord, and the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate for generations to come, and celebrate it as a festival unto the Lord. That day that the Lord is talking about, of course, is the Passover. And the Passover is a, a story that's extremely familiar. You may say it's even too familiar. We talked about this back on uh, Resurrection Sunday, but I wanted to revisit this morning God's tenth and final miracle uh, in ancient Egypt uh, sent judgment to the Egyptians. Now, we need to understand this, and I don't want to just pass over this. Judgment is for the Egyptians in order to deliver the Israelites. Who were the Israelites? They were God's chosen people. So God is, has gone, uh, Moses has gone before Pharaoh. He's, uh, all of these miracles God has performed, and this is the tenth and final one. And it's the judgment of the firstborn in all of Egypt. <laughs> and as this happens, a lamb sacrificed for each household is an Israelite, and as this took place, there was to, to slay the lamb, they were to place blood on the doorpost and over the top of the door, and, and so as the death angel came through, he would pass over that dwelling, and the firstborn of that family would not be touched, but the Egyptians, the firstborn of the family, both animals and the young, would die during that time. Now, here's the important thing. Even the Israelites, if they failed to slaughter the lamb, if they failed to put blood over the doorpost, their firstborn would be judged too. It was their responsibility. God instructed Moses after this to, to make this an anniversary or a memorial, a memorial time, a memorial day in a certain month that people might remember that when they applied the blood of the lamb, that that was the Passover and they were to celebrate that Passover. Now, this story is very familiar with us, but I want to I want to address some whys, and I want us to think about the the goodness of God today. That's what I want us to remember. One thing on this Memorial Day weekend, I want us to remember the goodness of God. So, so God wanted these uh, children, and He wants us to remember these things. 
for first reason so they could, future generations would know about his love and his power. And when we think about this, our children, our grandchildren, we need to learn and we need to teach them about the wonderful attributes of God, don't we? Isn't that our responsibility? I mean, the Bible is full of those instructions that we need to raise up our children about the great things God has done for us. And as Christians, our, our, our highest priority sometimes seems to be to evangelize the world. I mean, we have a lot of opportunities to, to reach out and evangelize the world, to, to send money across the other countries, to support missions. We, we are to do that all the time. But we need to realize our first job needs to be evangelize our own families. And that's where it needs to start. And folks, I want you to just think about yourself. Isn't it easy to dwell on the negative? Isn't that the easiest thing to do? Just to dwell on all the negative things. In our life, in our jobs, in our homes, in our families, it's so easy to dwell on those things which are negative. But as God talks about and as he tells Moses, he says, I want you to, to dwell on my love and my power. And, and folks, as Christian families, we need to be dwelling on this thing. And I wrote some practical suggestions on how we can do this, how we can discipleship our home. The first thing, these are just no-brainer things. It's things to think about. We need to talk about to our child or to our grandchildren about Jesus Christ. As soon as they're old enough to understand, they need to be hearing the difference between right and wrong, and they need to understand what Christ has done. Amen? I mean, we can sit here and think, well, that's so great, but, but we need to put that into action. For some children, it may be as early as three or four or five years old. For some, they may be a, a little bit longer, but it doesn't need to be too old because the Bible says this, when we come to Christ, we come in a childlike faith. You know, Christ was there and he had all those children coming to him, and you remember what the disciples did? They went to sending the children away, and, and Christ said, let those little children come to me because they can come in a childlike faith. Folks, when we have opportunities, we need, to, we need to talk about the good things that Christ has done in our families. We need to be reading Bible stories or Bible-based literature to our children. You know, there's nothing better you can do for a child than talk to him than to read to him. Don't y'all agree? Boy, my kids, they, all three of them, they'd come and, and they would come with a book even and then bring you a book. And what's the easy thing to do? Oh, I've got, I'm busy right now. I'm, I've got something to do right now. Folks, when you have that opportunity, we need to read and we need to watch what we're reading to our children. Use that as a great opportunity to talk about the good things that God has done. Some educational experts estimate that 75 to 90% of a child's moral training comes before their, what do y'all think, birthday? It's a little older than that. What do you think? Ten's real close. 75 to 90% of a child's moral training comes before their 12th birthday. That, so at 12-year-old, and I, I would guess if you're a teacher, you might say that, that even before then. But, but by, their, by their 12th birthday, 90% of, of their moral character has been built. And folks, that's what we need to be doing. We don't need to wait until our, our children are in, in high school to start a spiritual training. It needs to begin in, in preschool and Christ is telling Moses, hey, you need, to, you need to tell your children. If you go over to uh, the end of Joshua, I think it is, uh, you remember it, it makes a statement, maybe it's the beginning of Joshua. No, I think it's the end. 
where, where Christ says, There grew up a generation who knew not the Lord and remembered not what he had done. You know who that's an indictment on? The parents and the grandparents. That's when the kings came, and that's when we read the Old Testament, when we see the book of Kings, was because parents had allowed a whole generation to grow up and had failed to teach them the good things of what Christ had done. And in our life, we need to bring up our children, bring them to Sunday school, bring them, don't send them, bring them to Sunday school, let them be involved in their spiritual upbringing, and they begin to learn and understand what God has done. You know something, I can indict myself on this. I was youth minister at, at Fairview Baptist Church, and I resigned from that position. I was going over to lead music at another church, and uh, during that time there for a few weeks, I was out of church. Now, I went on Sunday mornings, and on Wednesday nights, we had a good children's program, and uh, Denise would, would load up all the kids, all three of them, and they would, they would go to church, and I just stayed at home. And one of my sons, I don't know if it was John or Jacob, come in there, I was sitting in my chair doing something, and they come in there and said, why do we have to go to church and you don't have to go? <laughs> what answer would y'all give? Ain't much you can say, is there? <laughs> ain't much you can say, well, you need it worse than me. Or, well, I had to go when I was little, so you got to go now. That doesn't work, does it? What that did for me is, is to understand that, that we need to bring up our children. We may be a part of their spiritual growth. We don't need to just send them off and let somebody else do their discipleship, do their upbringing. Listen to this. The church has a child 1% of their life. 1%. The school has a child 18% of their life, but the home has a child 81% of their time, the home. That's where we develop children. That's where we can remind them all the good things that God has done. Let's don't dwell on the, on the, on the rain out here. Isn't that easy to dwell on? Man, I, that's all I'm talking about. I mean, everybody we talk to, we say, man, have you ever seen it rain like this? If you were a rice farmer, what would you be doing? Woo, bring the rain on. Man, isn't this a great year for raising rice? You know, maybe, uh, maybe we can say, hey, there's, you know, God is good, his ways are right, and whatever he has for us in store, that's the great thing. Our children need to grow up understanding that. We need to remember all the good things that God has done and not dwell simply on the bad things. Here's the second reason that God has a Memorial Day, that he, he could remind us that there's always a solution to our problems. There's always a solution to our problems. You know, the, the predicament of the people that God is talking about here, the Israelites, they were in a predicament, weren't they? They were in problems. I want to remind you, they were in slavery. They were in a big problem, but they had a big God. And that big God would, would, was able to deliver them. And, and we need to realize that the, the size of our problems don't compare to the size of our God. Because God is bigger than our worries, He's bigger than our problems, he bi He's bigger than all of our concerns, and on this Memorial Day, we need to remember that, that, that we have a God that's bigger than any of our problems. His power is inexhaustible. We need to remember that. I realize that kind of runs contrary to the laws of science as we know them, but what we need to realize that God set the laws of science in motion and he set those in motion that they might govern our environment. That's kind of the, the laws of science. But who governs the, the laws of science? God does. Science doesn't 
doesn't govern God. He governs the things that take place on this earth. You know, if, if, if you and I were to, to be able to govern the laws of nature, think about this, what would we do? We'd mess it up because we would always govern them for us, wouldn't we? That's how we would always govern it. In other words, if I had a picnic next Saturday and I could govern these things, I'd say, okay, it's not going to rain today. But if Debbie had a picnic Sunday, she'd say, Lord, it can't rain today. And then if Keaton had a baseball game Monday, well, Lord, I don't need it to rain today. You see how it would just go? Because we would always govern with a solution for our problems. If, if you cut all your hay and you got it wrapped up and in the barn, you'd say, Lord, let it rain. But I just cut my hay yesterday. I don't want it raining. See what I'm talking about? We couldn't govern. We couldn't govern what God governs because we would do it with our own ideal in our own selfish way. As we think about the goodness of God, we need to remember that God is the solution of our problems. Whatever they may be, God's plans are always perfect. God's plans are always right. And I want to ask you something. Did it ever occur to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Did it ever occur to you that? God didn't, God, God's not sitting in his, on his throne in heaven and go, Jesus, you know what just occurred to me? It never happens. God, it, it never occurs to God that something occurs to God. And, and for us, that's because God always has a plan. God's way is always right after the exodus from Egypt. I want you to listen to this. This is just so great. I got to looking up some things, and I found some, some really interesting points. Moses and the people of God are being led out to the desert. Now, this is what I want you to think. It, it, it's never occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God. Here Moses is. He's leading God's people out into the desert. You know how many of them there were? Three to four million people. Okay? Moses is leading them. Three to four million people. According to the quartermaster general of the army, Moses would have had to have... Well, let's just guess. We're kind of on a guessing roll today. How much food do you all think that would take? Per day in tons. Somebody throw something out. It's, I'm not going to grade you on this. Okay. Was that 50 tons? It, it would have taken 15 tons of food every day to feed that many people. Now, according to this quartermaster, that would take two freight trains, each a mile long just to feed those people one day. Besides this, if they cooked over fire, it would take 4,000 tons of firewood every day. That's just to cook. They were in transit for 40 years, right? 1,500 tons of food per day, 4,000 tons of wood per day, for 40 years. Now listen, what about water? It would took a mi 11 million gallons every day for people to have that much water. Another thing, at the Red Sea, when they crossed the Red Sea, we can watch Charlton Heston and, and see that big picture of the Red Sea opening up and, 
and you see a, a group of people start across there, if the Red Sea opened on a narrow path, double file, about the width of that aisle right there, it would have taken them 35 days to get through there. That's going day and night. The Bible says they went through there in 24-hour period. If you figure that up, which I didn't, I just went to the computer and found some things, the Red Sea would have had to open a space of three miles wide so they could walk 5,000 abreast to make it in 24 hours. Isn't that amazing to you? Just think about that. We see that little movie on TV and it opens up and we see... 10 or 15 people crossing, and then we don't ever think about all the logistics. Do you think Moses had to figure all that out before he left Egypt? Do you think he sat down with a big chief tablet and another food pencil and said, okay, here's what I'm going to have to have to feed these people? You know what Moses did? He just trusted God. He didn't think about, I'm going to need 1,500 tons of food, 4,000 tons of wood, 11 million gallons of water every day. I need to figure out how we're going to do all these things. I need to figure out how to get them there so they'll be in place. When they camped every night, they covered a total of 750 square miles. That's bigger than Rhode Island. That's a camp. Every night, they set up camp. They camped. They broke down camp. They moved on. You know, when the children, when the parents of the the, the Israelites, when they set their children down and began to talk about all the good things that God had done, don't you know they reminded them all those things? Boy, God provided for our needs <coughs> for 40 years as we wandered around. God had a plan. He was moving forward with his plan, and he provided all of their needs because who he is and his power, it's hard for us to comprehend. <laughs> the next thing is his love for us is unbelievable. Why would God want to help the Israelites with their problems? Why would he do that? Why would God want to help us with our problems? Why would God care how we move forward day after day? And, and how would God, why would God care how we provide and, and how he provides things for us? You know the reason? Because he loves us. God loves you and God loves me. And because of his love for us, he he provides all those things over in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, that God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die on the cross, yet while we were sinners, not after we got things straightened out, but, but his love for us is so great that he sent his son to die for us, yet while we were sinners. He provides for us, he has a plan, his ways are right, his ways are perfect, and he's always moving forward with his plan. I'm going to start preaching here probably next week on a purpose-driven life, a, a life that's lived with a purpose. I'm going on ahead of myself, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what, how it's going to start, is we talk about the circle of life. We're born, we go to school, we get married, we have kids, we get old, we die, and it all starts over. Isn't that how we live life sometimes? Just a circle? But you know what? God's plan is this, that we'd live a linear life, that we start here and we're moving forward. We're not making a circle. We're moving forward with what God has for us. As the children of Israel came out of captivity, what were they doing? They were moving forward to God's plan. What did they do? They disobeyed God, and what happened? They started going around in circles, didn't they? But when they realized, hey, we're going around circles, we're going around this mountain over and over and over, when they finally turned back to God, what did God do? God said, well, we're back on the path, and I have a plan for you, and we're moving forward with our plan 
because God loves us. Here's the last thing this morning. You know, God's loved us so much, and, and when we understand how much God loves us, we begin to understand His plan for salvation. Judgment was coming on Egypt. That was the judgment of God. And, and here's, a, here's a tidbit of history for you. The Egyptians didn't accept death as a society. In other words, if, if all of us were here today and, and somebody died in our congregation even, it would upset all of us because as a society, we kind of accept that. We're getting farther away from that. But in, in Egypt, if it, if it wasn't part of your group or part of your family, they didn't accept it. They just denied, they just denied the death. They, they just didn't believe it. They, they just denied all those things. So the reality for the Egyptians is God brought death to every family. You know why? Because he wanted them to understand this affects every person. My judgment is for every person. The other side of town, you have the, the Egyptians on one side of town and their experience in death. The other side of town, you have this Hebrew family that was responsible for selecting a lamb for taking the blood of the lamb and for placing it around the doorpost. Now, I want you to look at this. It was to be a male without spot, without blemish. That's a picture of Christ. You go over to Revelation, it says Jesus Christ was the lamb of God. He was the perfect lamb without spot and without blemish. And you know what we're to do today? We're God's chosen people, the Gentiles. And he says this to us. We need to take the blood of the lamb and we need to ask that the blood of the lamb might cover us. For the Old Testament, for the Israelites, that was a picture of the Passover. For us, as God's chosen children today, we're to take the blood of the Lamb. We're to ask it to cover us of our sins, and that becomes a memorial for us. In just a moment, we're going we're to have communion together. And as the Lord has the disciples sitting there with them, He said, hey, I want you to, to remember what I've done for you. I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. And he took the bread as the disciples sat around the table. And uh, the Bible says that he broke the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he looked at his disciples around the table. And he said, this bread represents my body that was broken for you. He said, I want you to take this bread and I want you to eat of this bread, which is my body. And as you eat of this bread, I want you to remember that my body was for you. Then the Bible says in the same manner he took the cup and he said, I have a new covenant for you. That old covenant from the Old Testament, it's, it's put on hold right now and I have a new covenant for you and it's, it's a covenant of Jesus Christ and it's a covenant of his blood that was shed for you. And Jesus took the cup and he said, this, this cup is a, a testament of my blood for you and as often as you take of this cup, remember that my blood was shed for you. For the children of Israel, this time of Memorial Day is a time of the Passover. And for us, this time of Memorial Day is a time to remember that Christ's body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. I want to ask you to, to bow your heads with me this morning. And I want to ask you today, as we think about Memorial Day, would you remember the good things that God has done? In the midst of the good things, there's some rough times. I understand that. There's some days that we, we just go to God and say, God, I, I've had enough. Well, we've had enough rain. And 
God, I, we want your will to be done, but we, we need some dry days. There's nothing wrong with that. But not my will be done, but your will be done. There's some times we need to say, Father, just I need your grace and I need your peace just to help me through these worries and struggles and doubts that I'm having right now. We need to be reminding ourselves and our how forgetful are we. Remind ourselves and remember all the blessings that God has given us. Boy, he's brought us a long way. We're not in a circle, but we're moving forward with what God has for us. We need to remember today that God made a way that we never die. Because the death that he spoke of over in Genesis is a separation from God, just a second death. And for these children of Israel, they were to select a lamb and take the blood of the lamb. And for us today, we're to take the blood of the lamb of God. We're to say, we're to say Father, I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm sinful, and I know that, and I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would cover me with the blood of the Lamb. I want to take your body that, that was beaten and broken for me, that died in my place that I might have life. I was reading some scripture this morning about death, and that's kind of that was our study last week on Sunday night. And the last scripture I read before I walked in here this morning said this Blessed are the dead in Christ. Boy, that goes against everything we think. Psalm says, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his children. You know, we're not, we're not ready to die. I'm, I'm ready to die, but I'm not, I don't want to die today. I want to live. I want to live a long life. But you know, when I take my last breath, my next breath will be in heaven. To a home that God's prepared. Because of the blood of the Lamb. Not because I preach, not because of what I've done. I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But because I've taken the blood of the Lamb, it's a free gift just for asking it. What a great day, Memorial Day, to say, you know what, Lord, I remember what you've done, and I want to just commit myself to you. We're going to have a time right now, just a short invitation. The altars are open if you'd like to come and pray the uh, over in uh, Romans, uh, talks about in Romans 12.1 that a man ought to examine himself. and uh, In Corinthians, it says a man ought to examine himself. And in Romans 12.1, talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. This morning, as we have a time of invitation, would you just pray that God would open the eyes of your heart and that you might examine yourself through his eyes, not to see ourselves but to see the blood of Jesus and the covering of Jesus that we might find joy today in a memorial as we join together this morning. I just you can remain seated if you'd like to this morning. If you need out the per person on your aisle will let you out. This morning would you just spend some time in the arms of God, in the joy of the Father, in remembrance of him.